Well, good morning. If you're just joining us, my name is Pastor Jeremy, and we are so glad you've decided to worship with us together at Midland Evangelical Free Church today. Wherever you're at, welcome. We're glad you're here. Let me pray for us as I begin to do my best to unfold God's word to you. Father, we're thankful for today. Thank you so much that uh, you call us to yourself, that you bring yourself glory, that you communicate the good news, that you overcome evil with good, and that you're in control of all things. Lord, as we come today, we are in desperate need of hearing from you, and we pray that we would. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, when I attended seminary, I can remember living in the ancient dorm rooms across from a bunch of uh, male neighbors. And as the school year started, one of the things that we were hoping to do is find a church. And so me and the guy who lived across the hall uh, jumped in his car and we decided to go out to this place south of Dallas called Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. If you're unfamiliar with that church, it's a church pastored by the great Dr. Tony Evans. Dr. Evans, by the way, is a lot on a lot of our Right Now Media stuff, and it's super cool what he's making. But here's this great pastor. Here's this great church. It's a multicultural environment, very different from what I'm used to. And so I'm walking into this very green around the collar, feeling pretty out of place and feeling like I look a bit different as well. So I'm trying to follow along, unusual service, and I'm looking at the uh, bulletin, and I'm trying to sing, and my my the guy who lives next door is singing as well, and he's got a bit of a musical background, so he's a pretty good singer, and in walks his family behind us, and as I turned around, I looked at this family, and I was like, I mean, they were amazing. I was trying not to gawk or stare or whatever, but when it comes to human beings, this group was pretty much looking like they were at the top of the ladder. I mean, the dude was handsome. He had a big, bright gold watch, beautiful suit on. His wife could have been his model. His kids look like the front cover of a Land's End magazine or something like that. I mean, I was trying not to do the double take, but I'm pretty sure sitting behind me, they saw me going like this because I was wow, what is this? Well, we're singing, we go through the service, and then afterwards, you know, it's turn around, shake hands, say hello, be nice, ha, ha, ha. And we did that a little bit. And my friend was talking to the husband of that family, and he said, and the husband said, you sing? And he's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, a little bit. And he's like, hey, man, here you go, here's my card. I was like, okay, whatever. We get in the car, and my friend's like, do you know who that was? I'm like, no. What? You don't know? No, I'm sorry. I don't know who that was. They were pretty fancy. That's all I know. And he's like, that was Kirk Franklin. You know, Stomp, GP, are you with me? All God's people, all that stuff. Oh, you mean Kirk Franklin like 15-time Grammy or award winner, something like that? Yes, that's him. And here was this, you know, world-famous gospel recording artist, sitting right behind us, and I thought to myself, well, I guess that explains the gargantuan Mercedes-Benz that was sitting outside or something. I don't know. But here is this person that I failed to recognize. 
that was sitting right next to us. Now, as you know, sometimes it's easy to not recognize people, and sometimes it doesn't matter, but sometimes it does. And today, in our passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 8, what we're going to see is that the key to understanding Jesus is recognizing him for who he is. So many times we miss it. They missed it then. We miss it today. But the key to getting through any of our problems, the key to enduring anything, is to recognize Jesus for who he is. So, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 8. That's the 8th chapter of the book of Mark. I'm going to read for you the first 10 verses of Mark chapter 8. It's also going to be up on your screen, but I'm going to come back to it a few times as we go today, so you may want to have that Bible handy. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, it says this. In those days, when a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days, and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them will have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And Jesus asked them, Well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. He directed the crowd to sit on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set before him the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. There were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalman. This is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. The first thing I want to point out to you in this passage of Scripture is the disciples' question. In verse 4, the disciples, after Jesus says, go feed them, basically say, how? Like, we get it, they're hungry, we get it, they got a long way to go, we get it, there's no 7-Eleven or Quick Stop or anything nearby, but uh, Lord, how? How do you expect us to feed these people? We don't have anything, there's nothing in sight, what are we going to do? This is a key question for our consideration in today's text because what's happening is this. The disciples have forgotten their previous experience with Jesus. Now there's a good chance that many of us picking up in today's sermon series in Mark chapter 8 have forgotten that stuff too. But the disciples have been with him now for over a year and they've seen these things live. It's not like they're picking up a sermon series from one summer to the next. It's like they're walking with this guy and they're seeing these things and yet they seem to have forgotten. This is the same Jesus who approached them on the seas of Galilee and said, Hey, Simon, Andrew, you, you over here with me. Let's go. 
James, John, put down the nets. It's time. Come on. And having never met this guy in their entire life, they left everything and their family and followed him. This is the same guy who, when he comes before the greatest prophet in all of Israel, that prophet bows down at his feet and says, I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. This is the same guy who approaches a tax collector, which is an enviable position because it makes all kind of money and it's basically never going to rain for the rest of this guy's life and says, hey, Matthew, leave your business that's so lucrative that everybody else wants a part of and follow me. And Matthew says, okay, and leaves the money on the table. This is the same Jesus who has power over people in such a way that when he calls them, they come. Who has that power? I don't. People pretty much do whatever they want. You can see that out in our culture right now. But when Jesus says something to people, they respond. Jesus has power over people, and they seem to have forgotten that. Jesus not only has power over people, he has power over evil. As soon as he was baptized, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. And on his very first day of ministry, fresh out of the tank or the river, he gets in a fight with Satan. And Satan throws at him everything he's got. And Jesus comes out victorious, showing us that no matter what, Jesus wins. But as if that wasn't enough, Satan doesn't try to take him head on right away. Instead, he sends his minions after him. And all of a sudden, one identifies Jesus and says, Ah, what do you want with us, son of God? Jesus says, Get out. Time to go. And then one wasn't enough, and so all of a sudden there's a legion and another person, and Jesus said, you see those pigs? Those are for you. Out! And away those demons go. See, Jesus is the strong man who enters the enemy's house and demonstrates that he has power over evil. He has power over people. He has power over evil. What about sickness? That's a tough one. Yet as we watch Jesus up until this point in Mark chapters 1 through 7, what we see is that leprosy, the most feared disease of the day, way more than COVID. There's no face mask. There's no sanitation. There's no breathing treatments. There's nothing. There's just disease. This disease, Jesus walks up and touches and heals. What about the deaf? No hope for them? Yeah, actually, Jesus helps there too. Jesus is so powerful over sickness that when people bump into him, Power goes out from him, and they're changed. The disciples have seen this. They've seen his power over people. They've seen his power over evil. They've seen his power over sickness. They've even seen his power over sin. Jesus can talk to the religious leaders and authorities and say, here is the authoritative interpretation of the law. Here's what we do with the Sabbath. Here's what we do with harvesting. Here's what we do with fasting. Here's what we do with work. Every question you ever have, Jesus has answers to, and then more. Jesus can look into their hearts and tell them what they're thinking. Jesus can sense their evil and their intents. Jesus can walk up to someone who is repentant and lowered through a roof. And say, son, your sins are forgiven. Who can do that? Jesus has power over people, power over evil, power over sickness, power over sin. 
and even power over nature itself. This is the same Jesus who in chapter 4 calmed a raging storm. This is the same Jesus who in chapter 6 got out of the boat they were in and started walking on the water. This is the same Jesus who in chapter 5 said to a little girl who was dead, get up, and she did. This is the same Jesus who only two chapters earlier fed 5,000 people. And now the disciples are looking at 4,000 people and saying, I wonder what we're going to do. If at this point I'm Jesus, I'm just scratching my head saying, oh my goodness, guys, come on, for real? In fact, if you read a few verses later in this chapter, he says almost that. And yet Jesus is patient and gentle and kind, and he's going to show them once again who he is. You see, the disciples had forgotten who they were with. They didn't realize that this was the Jesus who was authoritative and powerful over everything, over people, over evil, over sickness, over sin, and over nature itself. And so the question that they're asking in verse 4, when they say, how can this happen? is completely the wrong question. Listen to this very carefully, church, believer, newcomer. The question is not how, but who. The question is not how, but who. And so many times in our lives, we are all wrapped up in the how because that's what's right in front of us and that's all we can see. But if nothing else you receive from this sermon, get this. The point is that Jesus is showing the disciples, just like he shows us, once again, over and over again, it's not how, but who. It's not how, but who. And when the who is in the house, then the hows don't matter. Let me say that again. When the who is in the house, the hows don't matter. When the who is in the house, that is who, H-W-H-O, is in the house, H-O-U-S-E, then the hows, H-O-W-S, don't matter. When the who is in the house, the hows don't matter. Can I get an amen? Let me hear it from the back row. Amen. Glory to God. Gospel of Jesus. <laughs> Pull out your hankies and wave them around. Do something. Jump up and down. But understand when the who is in the house, the hows don't matter. Question is not how, but who. If that is the case, then we have to ask ourselves. We can't stop there and say, oh, silly disciples. No. We've got to look at ourselves and say, um, church, believer, person, newcomer, follower of Christ, have you forgotten 
This same Jesus, hailed by the prophet, overcoming Satan, casting out demons, walking on water, calming storm, raising the dead. This same Jesus, crucified, risen, and coming again. This same Jesus, the same today, yesterday, and forever, lives inside of us. And if that is the case, oh, then we must remember, it's not how, but who. If Jesus dwells in us, that makes us His how. And if he is in the house, then the house don't matter. Come hell or high water, the devil knocking at your door. If Jesus is in the house, then the house don't matter. It's not how, but who. That's a really important thing to remember right now. It's not how, but who. Now secondly, this. That's my first point. I have two today. Second point is this. So number one, it's not how, but who. Number two, we have help. We have help. Let me show you that in Mark chapter 8, verse 2. Mark chapter 8, verse 2. The crowds come around. They're hungry. They got nothing. And Jesus says... Jesus says, I have compassion. Jesus has compassion. Hear that, church. Let me deliver that good word to you today that comes straight from the word of God. Jesus has compassion for you. Wherever you're at, whatever circumstance you're in, whatever challenges lay ahead of you, whatever situation you're struggling through, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how impossible it is, Jesus has compassion. Jesus has compassion for the things nobody in the entire world knows about but you. Jesus has compassion. Number one, it's not how, but who. Number two, we have help. And the first point under that is that Jesus has compassion. Now, if Jesus has compassion, which he does, what that means is that we can go to him. And that's what you see happening and developing throughout the New Testament, whether it's the story of the prodigal son who's unsure of whether he can return home. The father opens his arms and welcomes him and kills the fattened calf and throws the robe and the ring and everything on him, trying to show him that I accept you, I love you, I welcome you back because I have compassion. Yes, I recognize you have sinned and you have fallen and you've gone away, but when you go to Jesus, he welcomes you back. Not because we deserve it, but because he has compassion. The Good Samaritan, the widow's son, the prodigal son, 
all of these things illustrate the consistent and faithful character of God spelled out by Moses and the psalmist, which says, You, O Lord, are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's who God is. That's who scriptures reveal him to be, and that is who the word made flesh, Jesus, reveal him to be as well. The disposition of God towards men is compassion. Jesus has compassion, so go to him. Don't hold back. Don't sit in your worry, your pride, your shame, your anger, your refusal to repent, your unwillingness to acknowledge the sin in your life or the mistake you made. It may not even be that big of a deal. You just really don't want to admit it, but go. Jesus has compassion, so go to him. Don't wallow in the mud and stay where you're at, but get up, go home, and go to him. Jesus has compassion. He has compassion, number one, not how, but who. Number two, we have help. Jesus has compassion. Go to Jesus. And number three, sub-point under there somewhere or another, depending on how you're outlining it, is this. I want to make a little bit of a clarification. And I think this is really important because there's a lot of sheep out there, but there's a few wolves as well. And what happens is the wolves always twist things and try to exploit the sheep, to take advantage of them for their sake. And the way you see that happening with something like what I'm saying today is this. I get you all riled up and get you excited and we talk about the disciples and the wrong question. It's not how, but who, and therefore go to Jesus because he's powerful over everything. And we wave our hankies and say, amen. Then somebody comes along and starts waving them a little better than I do. And they look better than I do. And while they're pretty attractive, and all of a sudden they start telling us things we want to hear. They make promises that the Bible doesn't. And they start preaching to us that it's going to come back around to us in this life, in this world. And therefore, if we just do this now and bless their ministry and do this and get riled up, all of a sudden we'll get a miracle. And we can even walk into Jesus and start knocking on his door and demand a miracle. And such is not the case. Jesus is not a conjurer of cheap tricks of prancing pony or a genie in a bottle we cannot manipulate him in fact the only people who demand from jesus a sign are his enemies and he never gives them one when we follow scripture the evidence of angels and the reality of God's word is not that Jesus just walks around healing everybody, but instead that he's intentional. He's fulfilling scripture. He's following God's purpose. And he leaves some people unhealed. And I don't know why he does that. But in the end, he will make all things well. But in the meantime, miracles are miracles and they don't happen every day. And so we don't get to waltz into his room and demand that he do them. Instead, we need to show a little respect. If we walked in and we're like, shimmy, sham, bam, show me some of your power, Jesus would say, uh-uh, not like that. 
You walk out of this room and you come back in with a better attitude. And when you ask me the right way, then I'll respond. But you, as my child, do not command, you request. We always approach him from a spirit of humility and request, not command. Jesus dances to the beat of his own drum and never to ours. Yes, it doesn't matter how, but who. Yes, we have help. Yes, he is compassionate. Yes, we are to go to him, but when we do so, it must be with respect. So that's one clarification I want to make. The other one I want to make is this. First of all, we respect and secondly, we got to understand that when Jesus does these miracles, it's also not like, sometimes it is, but not most of the time it's not like, poof, nothing for you to do, disciples, I'm done. Instead, what you see is this, is Jesus requires their involvement. Now, of course, they can't do the miracle and they can't feed the people. But whatever they have, he asks from them. Well, what do you guys have? Okay, then give me that. And when they demonstrate their willingness to give him everything they have, then they've demonstrated humility and respect and he is in a position to respond. See, Jesus... is the ultimate authority and power over all things. We don't command him, he commands us. And therefore, when we ask for something, it's a request. And we don't get away with just requesting, but instead, we often have to be a part of the solution as well. We need to exercise faith and offer to him what we have. Now, one more little clarification as well. I know there's a lot of false prophets and miracle healers and people who get you all riled up out there and trying to think that they have a solution. But when you look at this passage of Scripture, what you actually see is order, leadership, and direction. Jesus calls all the people and he sits them down in groups specifically laid out. And then he calls the disciples and he assesses the situation and he sort of takes an inventory of the resources. And then he, not in this one, but in the earlier one, distributes the disciples. In this one, he's part of the distribution. But they go and they hand out the food in an orderly way. Jesus, if he wanted to, he could have just said, make it rain, make it rain, make it rain. And all of a sudden it's cloudy with a chance of meatballs and food's falling from the sky and everybody's scrounging around on the ground to try to get some. That's not the way he works. As a perfect revelation of God, what this word shows you is that he does all things decently and in order. So any miracle healer that's got people standing up and jumping around and rolling and screaming and shouting and hooting and hollering and doing this and doing that is actually very different from what you see in Scripture. 
Jesus sits him down and says, be quiet, let me bless this. And then he does. Then he does the miracle and people stand in awe, not looking at what's going around around them, but looking at Jesus. Anything that's of the Holy Spirit always points to Christ. If it's not pointing to Christ, if it's distracting you in any way from that, it is not of the Holy Spirit. So, my point today is this. In whatever situation you're in, no matter how difficult, no matter how much of a struggle, the question is not how, but who. The feeding of the 4,000 shows us that when the who is in the house, the hows don't matter. Because we have help. Jesus has compassion. We can go to him. And when we exercise our faith and offer what we have, bless it. Thinking back on that time with my friend at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, I don't know if it made any difference whatsoever if I turned around and said, oh, there's Kirk Franklin. Probably not. I'm not a musician. I'm not going into the music industry. And realistically, there's no way he could help me. But I can assure you of this. Wherever you're at today, as you are going to church, if you miss Jesus, you miss everything. But if you find him, you've found everything. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? It's not how, but who. Father, we thank you and praise you for your gracious gifts to us. Lord, you're powerful over the storm. You're powerful over the demons. You're powerful over sickness. You're powerful over life and death itself. You are powerful over the flood waters. Lord, you're powerful over COVID. You're powerful over our kids who are at home and have nothing to do. You are powerful over my sin and frustration and struggle and impatience and lack. Lord, you are powerful over our finances. You are powerful over our provision. You're powerful over our church. You're powerful over our people. You're powerful over our city. You are powerful over politics. You are powerful over politicians. You are powerful over countries and nations and rulers and kingdoms. And your power will reign forevermore. Lord, please forgive me for the times I forget that. Please forgive me for the times my emotions respond in ways that say something other than that. Please help me to refocus on you. And always remember, Lord God, it's not how, but who. When you are with us, we have help. And your spirit is in us and Jesus is here. And we can trust him. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.